Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. We are back, and we are continuing our way through the books of Obadiah and Joel, and today we're going to finish up Obadiah, and I, every time we're a little bit behind, I always say, hey, let's try and do the next two, and we always end up not being able to do the next two. So uh, just to kind of keep with the tradition, we're going to try and finish up Obadiah and introduce Joel. We probably won't. But uh, joining me today, as always, is Matt Barfield. Hello. And joining me today, as per usual, is Brandon Hamilton. Hello there. And we are talking about Obadiah. This is uh, the third lesson in our uh, Adult Bible Fellowship uh, curriculum, and we're talking about uh, the theme of what goes around comes around. And so, uh, really, the o- Obadiah is one of, of many books that addresses this question, you know, what is God going to do uh, when the wicked behave wickedly? And that's a theme that we see uh, quite frequently throughout Scripture. And we see people wrestling with that and asking God, when are you going to act? When are you going to move? And um, uh, we see this, for example, in Psalm 73, uh, Asaph is wrestling with, okay, why is it that the wicked prosper? We see this in Revelation chapter 6 where the martyrs cry out and ask for uh, justice. And God tells them that they must uh, wait a little bit longer before God judges the world. So, uh, let me start off with this question, kind of an interesting question. Why do you think it is that God includes accounts in Scripture of his people begging him to do justice? Let me ask that again. Why do you think it is that God includes accounts in Scripture of his people begging him to do justice? I think sometimes people think that if they're seeing an injustice, if they're dealing with, with something, that maybe they've done something wrong, maybe they've, uh, you know, maybe they're in doubt about the relationship with God, and so to see this happening over and over in Scripture, you you kind of get a sense of this is not just my problem. This is a recurring problem. This is a state problem because we're here in this state, this fallen world, so this is going to take place. And I do need to come to God. I do need to cry out. A lot of times we, we, we get a little too nuanced in Scripture. We try to understand its um, its meaning instead of seeing just simply an example and going, okay, I'm going to do that. So mm-hmm. when, when we see injustice, we should cry out. We should cry out to the Lord. Lord, deal with this. Lord, you know, we want to see ultimate justice, and we're waiting for you on, on this. Yeah, I think it's because it's a it's a problem that we're going to encounter. But I, I also think it's interesting in Scripture. I can't think of an instance, maybe you can, where someone is crying out for justice on themselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> usually when we realize that we are sinning, the, the cry in Scripture is, is mercy. Lord, and I think that it kind of highlights human nature where when we see wrongdoing in other people's lives— we call out for justice, but when we see it in our lives, we call out for mercy. Um, and I mean, you see that over and over, even in Psalm 73, the Psalm you mentioned, um, he, he looks at them with envy, but then all of a sudden, but then I understood their end, that justice is coming. And uh, a, a big theme when you see justice that all, often comes up in judgment is, is patience and time often is a connected point. Yeah. <clears throat> God's judgment is coming, but you have to wait for it. Right. <clears throat> Yeah. It is interesting that, you know, the first sin is is internalized. It's a problem for the individual who does it. Adam and Eve are facing death now, mm-hmm. um, and their relationship with God is now cut. Now you've got that has gone on so long that you're now looking at that thing in someone else. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's not just I have this problem and I need mercy, as you said, but I'm watching. I'm now standing as a small G God watching this created thing do this thing that I'm now appalled with. Right. Well, the fact that it, it it's still in me <laughs> escapes me, as you just said. Right. You know, the fact that I yeah. still wrestle with this. So I'm looking at that thing, and and there is a rightness to that. Right there, even in myself, I I look forward to the day, not just that I got mercy, but that this body of sin is dealt with. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I I and we do need to identify that and seeing it outside. Maybe sometimes it 
we, we don't take the lesson, but sometimes it can help us. Right. We see it outside and we go, yes, and my sin also dealt with. My problem also fixed. I mean, yeah. that's exactly what Nathan did to David. He, he tells that story and David gets infuriated with it and yeah. demands justice. And all of a sudden, Nathan's like, it's you. you are that man. Yeah, we're talking, talking about And you. now David's like, oh, okay, my sin is a big deal. Um, and that, that's an interesting twist on that when... I mean, I, I think of the example of gossip where, like, oh, I gossip. It's not it's not that big of a deal. It's a little sin. But when someone mm-hmm. gossips about us, it's massive, right? Yeah. Like, we get really upset, and and we want that other person to be punished for it. I think, too, um, we often—this seems to be my take, at least, and may, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems like we believe that trusting God uh, means not being bothered by anything that we see. So, like— I don't know if I, if I see injustice and that bothers me, it's like, well, trust God to take care of it. And we should trust God to take care of it. But so did the martyrs in revelation. And yet they're crying out, asking for justice. Sure. Um, that actually part of, um, part of believing God is calling on him to, to live up to his, his character that we know he is. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, it's, it's similar to the idea of claiming the promises of God. God, you said you're going to do this for me. So do it. And I think that includes uh, justice as well. And so, um, yeah, we don't want to be uh, vindictive or um, we don't want to be uh, selfish. And this this can pretty easily get warped and become kind of Jonah-like where we're sitting there on the hill like, God, why would you forgive them? I wanted you to wipe them out. And we, we obviously don't want to go that direction. But I do think there's something here when we read about these judgments that are coming on the wicked that there is something about that that we're like, yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you for, for dealing with this sin because we, we're made in the image of God and the injustice ought to bother us, and we ought to desire justice. I think many Christians are rightly appalled by the injustice of abortion in America and the way it's handled, and um, I think that's correct. Uh, it's, but it's also not something that we can make better by going and murdering an abortion doctor, as has happened on occasion. So, so we need to look at this and say, okay, yes, this is true. Yes, this needs to be fixed, and I'm going to trust God for that specific thing and pray for this. I'm going to speak towards this. I'm going to ask God to do this thing because it needs to be dealt with God's way. Yeah, and I, I, my mind goes to Romans 12 when we're ta- told to let love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy, and then towards the end of the chapter, verse 19, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. He's yeah. the judge, and we often try to take that role um, because God's going to judge justly, and we're probably not. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm the pastor that I... Uh, was with in Pennsylvania used to say, Hey kids, when your brother does something wrong and you get upset, uh, who who has the bigger paddle (laughs) you or daddy, (laughs) right? (laughs) So don't you take it in your own hands. Let me deal with this. And, and what you just said kind of reminded me of that in a quaint way, but, but it's true. You know, God, God's going to deal with this correctly. And so we ought to look at these things and see them. You can't, you can't look at them and say they don't exist or wish them away yeah. mm-hmm. or just roll over. That's, that's a wrong response. Yeah. The evil things are evil and should be called evil and justice is justice and should be called for. So we need to pray for these things. We need to take them seriously enough to ask God to do even these, these big dreadful things that are kind of overwhelming at times. Yeah. I love the next verse too. It's, it gives the application. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him the drink for in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head and we can impact them by how we respond to even evil it's being directed towards us <clears throat> reminds me of the the words of Christ i can't remember where exactly it is but um where it was describing describing him and it said who um that he when he was reviled reviled not again but entrusted himself mm-hmm. to one who will judge justly you know jesus on the cross when he was being 
abused and mistreated, he trusted God. And um, his solution w- was uh, was not to just, oh, here it is, First uh, Peter 2, 23, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. You know, Christ, p- part of what is happening on the Christ as he's remaining silent is he's trusting the Father ultimately to, to deal with this. And and even mixed in there, we have, you know, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But at the end, Christ was trusting the Father uh, to bring to bring justice in that situation. Right. And if 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 Christ can do that, we all we certainly ought to be able to to do that as well. Amen. So, as we're looking at the book of Obadiah, uh, now that we've uh, kind of introduced that, we'll go ahead and and look at the. We're not getting to Joel. But hey, that's <laughs> that's a possibility. We'll see. <laughs> Um, God explains, first of all, why judgment is coming on Edom. Really, the book of Obadiah, and I think we talked about this last time, verses 1 through 14, God describes the coming judgment on Edom. And then verses 15 through 21, he describes the day of the Lord uh, for all the nations. So it kind of starts off with Edom, and then it expands a little bit. And it's interesting because uh, verses 10 through 14, and this is something uh, when you read the Bible on your own to be paying attention to, is uh, repeated words. So we see, um, starting in verse 11, in the day, I'll start in verse 10 of Obadiah. For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother, in the day that he became a stranger. Neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress." There's a pattern if you haven't picked up on it yet. Uh, thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity, yea. Uh, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Um, neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up of his that did remain in the day of distress. Matt Barfield, is there a word you noticed? That you know, up? I bet that sounds awesome in Hebrew. <laughs> I mean, there's probably like all kind of cool nuances if you say it in the original. Yeah, I actually there is kind of some interesting wordplay that goes yeah, on. Yeah, but the, that's awesome. The Hebrew poetry that you can't really translate. Right, right, right. Not, yeah, anyway, I always try to imagine those kind of things when I hear those kind of repeated phrases. Or yeah. I'm like, oh, but that sounds cool. As we all do, Matt. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> well, I don't know what it sounds like, but I'm sure it sounds cool. <laughs> So, obviously, uh, the word day is repeated over and over again, and we see the day of calamity, the day of distress, and it seems like Obadiah is kind of drawing uh, uh, what goes around comes around, because he says, you've done this on this day, in the day of of Israel's distress, here's what you did, so here's what's going to happen to you, verse 15, for the day of the Lord. So there's a past day where you did all of these awful things, well, guess what, there's another day that's coming, and this is going to be the day of the Lord, which is near upon all the heathen. And heathen there is a, a general word that means the nations. So um, it normally refers to the nations that are not Israel. We would use the word Gentiles in the New Testament. But it's the same idea. It's the nations of the world. The day of the Lord is coming upon them. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. And so we see that uh, God is going to be bringing judgment. Uh, Obadiah uh, shows that because Edom has plundered Jerusalem and treated them and mistreated them and abused them, that now judgment is coming upon them. So we looked at the day of the Lord, and we said there were three elements to the day of the Lord in our previous sessions. Can anyone remember what those three elements were? Uh, day of and Lord. No. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. sorry. Can't say that I do right now. No, tell us again. Okay. Tell us. us. Um, teacher. Teach, yes. Grasshopper. 
Um, <laughs> so there's the judgment that's coming on the nations. Oh, uh, yes. The, the vindication judgment. of the righteous. And, and then the judgment on Israel. Judgment on Israel. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. those are kind of Got the three yeah. big pieces. I'm back up. There will be a quiz next week. I'll yes. never forget yes. that. So yeah. there we go. <laughs> no, I got it now. I got it now. Um, and so uh, we see here the, the first of those themes that God is going to bring judgment on the nations. And we're going to see in the end of the book uh, the theme that God is going to bring vindication of the righteous. And then the theme that God will bring judgment on the people of God, Israel, who are living wrongly, uh, will be hit on pretty hard in the book of Joel. That's kind of what Joel starts off with. And so we see each of those three themes built out uh, pretty nicely. Um, let's see here. Look at some of these questions. Uh, Let's ask this. Why do you think it is that Edom ends up ignoring these warnings of God? So God warns that the day of the Lord is coming, and apparently Edom does uh, nothing about it. Why would it be that Edom, just kind of thinking about it historically, would ignore these warnings? And then if we can kind of bridge that to today, why is it that people today ignore the warnings of Scripture? I think, you know, for their part, as we talked about their location geographically and sort of the security they had up in the nest where the eagles were, um, you know, they, they thought they were in a good spot. They got it figured out. They can withstand just about anything. So I think they kind of just thought, well, we, we got ourselves as good as we're going to get. So, you know, here it yeah. is. I also think there's a, there's an issue of, of Esau. Have I hated Jacob? Have I loved mm. where, where Esau continually misses the faith response and Edom, his descendants do too. If you believed this, you would, you would do something like if you heard that you would you would say like yeah. like Nineveh, you know who can tell? But if we stop all this bad stuff and we put on sackcloth and ashes, maybe he won't kill us. Like that's a faith response. Yeah, you know? and it's interesting because Jonah gets upset uh, when God does forgive them, and he specifically says the reason I did not want to go bring them the message of judgment is because Jonah knew that by God bringing that message of judgment, that was an implicit call for repentance, mm-hmm. and Jonah knew that if the people repented, God would turn and. It's one of the most sadly ironic verses in the Bible where we have this beautiful description of God's character. And it's from a prophet complaining. He hates it. it. Said it in an angry tone. (laughs) I knew. I knew you. you. I knew that you'd be gracious and long-suffering and that you'd turn away from evil. I knew that that was the kind of God that you are. Yes. He (laughs) has correctly signed the correct doctoral statement. Yep. Like he's got all those checked off and they don't resonate with him. And you're like, that. I should not be like that. Yeah. I should not have a doctoral statement that hasn't altered me. Yeah, uh, it should alter me. I should these things I believe about God should change me, and yeah. uh, Jonah's evidencing that when that doesn't happen. So, yeah, that faith response is so is so vital, and and Edom misses that. You know, and I think I think a lot of people miss that. They 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 harden themselves further. They go down the the path of Pharaoh. You know, God says, "Hey, it's going to be like this." Oh yeah. Oh okay. Oh anyway, and they just go back into it. And I think they've just they've committed. Um, you know, there's there's terrible things, blasphemous things said in casual places about, you know, I hope my friends are all in hell, you know, yeah. because we're all going there. So I just hope we're all there together. You know, I hope they have the stuff I like in hell because that's where I'm going. It's, it's it's you know, as we're speaking here in church, in this kind of a, of a forum, it just sounds like laughable, but but it's it's really oh, tragic. Yeah, it's, it's real. It's yeah. tragic. You know, it's it's like I, I've, I'm down this path. Here comes the warning. And so I double down. And that's that's what's happening to Edom. That's what happens today. I mean, it's it's when that faith response is initially lacking, it, it often is hard to to see it ever come again, to see it ever evidence itself. That's why the Nineveh thing's so awesome. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, if this happened today, any city, any size, completely turned to God in repentance, 
we would all want credit for that. Yeah. We, we wouldn't be like Jonah, like, I'm so sad. We'd be like every Baptist preacher in America be like, I supported that guy. <laughs> I helped him get there. You know, we'd all be wanting some credit of that because it'd be awesome. Um, but but it's just, it's so rare. It's rare because that faith response, once lacking, tends to distill unbelief more and more and more and more and more, mm. which is why it is so vital for us to remind ourselves we need to have a believing response to the Word of God. We need to continually get into that rut of I hear what God says, I believe it, and that changes me. Well, you think of Hebrews 3 and 4. If you hear it, harden not your hearts in the day of unbelief. Um, you know, and it's the reality is we're all one day away from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And um, there's a lot of people, this has just kind of been a burden of something I've seen. There's a lot of people who are living in the Christian community who, generally speaking, follow the rules and keep their heads, you know, keep keep their heads below water. They don't, you know, they don't cause a ruckus. Uh, and yet, you talk, you go back to that faith response. Their lives are not characterized by faith in God. Yeah. I mean, they've they've learned to follow the system. They've learned what the rules are, and they kind of fit in. But you don't actually see them living a life of faith. You don't see them taking steps of faith. You don't see them trusting God. You don't see them winning victories. And they're just kind of like moseying along. And um, it, it's sad. And I immediately just kind of think about our human nature. Uh, we rely so much on experience. And at, at this point in history, they had not experienced being defeated. Right. Um, and mm. even when you hear, when you read about judgment in second Peter three and, other passages, people are just like, judgment's not coming. Everything's going to stay the same as it always has been. Yeah, yeah good point. Yeah. Nothing's going to change. I've never experienced that. And by the way, you guys aren't doing so well right now. <laughs> yeah. So um, what makes you think things are going to change? And also, in their arrogance, we always have this exception clause for ourselves. Well, not not to me. Yeah. Like, I'm going to be the exception to that. And uh, I'm going to be able to escape that judgment that's coming. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I One of the verses that I included in here was Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived. Yep. God is not mocked. What does it mean that God's mocked? It means you make a fool of God. Yeah. How do you make a fool of God? Well, God warns you about something, and then it turns out he's wrong. Yeah. And, and Paul says, don't be deceived. No one's making a fool of God. What you sow, you are going to reap. There will be consequences for your actions. And you may think that you're the exception, and yeah. you may think, well, not me or not this time, but... You're not the exception, and it will be you, and it will be this time, and no one's going to make a fool of God by him warning about something and it not actually coming to pass. Yeah, and it goes both ways too, right? Like people experience hurt and pain, and they're like, this is never going to end, and God has put me in this, and he'll never bring me out of it. And we forget all the promises that he's made for our, our hope and our future. But then at the same time, when things are going well, we're like, yeah, nothing's going to take me down. Um, this mm-hmm. is how it's always going to be. And um, we, we don't look at the, the promises of consequences for our sin um, that we're warned about constantly in scripture. One of the things that's happening today is when you talk about judgment, people immediately get judgmental on God. They don't, don't judge they, me. Yeah, they don't like mm-hmm. the idea right. of God bringing judgment and the precision with which God brings judgment is to me, uh, it's not the only reason that we shouldn't feel that way, but God is extremely precise. He doesn't overjudge anybody. He doesn't underjudge anybody. I, I one time it occurred to me how amazing it is that of the six hundred thousand or so men who left Egypt in Israel and went into the wilderness, all of them died, all of them except Caleb and Joshua. Mm, yeah. I mean, the fact that he that the fact that nobody slipped through, 
Like, like they, they're going. God is not a respecter of persons. Well, they're like, they're like. I mean, to, to take your point, like, yeah. hey, God's going to judge all those other five hundred ninety-nine thousand right. nine hundred. <laughs> yeah. But I'll make it. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll get through. Hey, don't and tell anyone. I'm, as- I'm actually sixty-two, <laughs> but I tell everyone I'm fifty-nine, and I've made it somehow. <laughs> right. Like, it's not going to trick it. That like God's God's going to be exactly precise. He's going to get the full judgment that needs to be done. And then, like, if we were doing it right, if we were going to judge six hundred thousand men. We would accidentally roll over either Joshua or Caleb, right? Like, like we couldn't <laughs> stop it on a dime and and leave those two and only those two. But that's exactly what he does. Like he he deals with it so precisely, so perfectly that he can have this great plague that wipes out all of these, not miss anybody, and not accidentally get either Caleb or Joshua. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And I, I think when you look at Edom, it's like God's gonna be right about this. He's not gonna mess this up. And it's it's almost it's it is it's unbelievable for us if we're in if we're in unbelief to think that he can actually do that. Yeah, and we're so comparative too. We're like, I'm not as bad as they yeah, are, right. so mm-hmm. I don't deserve it. And Scripture and God makes the the line very clear. Yeah, it's true. So as we continue uh, going through. Obadiah, uh, God warns that as Edom and the other nations have treated Judah, so they are going to be uh, treated by God. So verse 16, for as you have drunk on my holy mountain, probably a reference there to just partying and carousing, you go in there, you steal their wine, and you have a good time. So also shall the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. And uh, there's a little bit of debate here, but I think this is probably a reference to drinking the cup of God's wrath. Uh, This is an image that we see elsewhere in the prophets and so the idea is, you know, you have drunk in celebration of, of taking advantage of my people, and as a result, uh, you're going to have to face uh, my wrath. And then we come down to the end, and the end of this is talking about salvation for Israel. So this is uh, really verses 17 through 21. And it's kind of interesting because we get to verses 19, 20, and 21, and it's a very long uh, description of all of the land that they're going to regain. And this is one of those sections where, it's kind of maybe hard at first to be like, okay, what does this have to do with me as a believer in the 21st century? Like, it's that's great. Israel's going to get all this land back. Good for them. Um, what does that have to do? What does that have to do with me? The land. Uh, yeah. So we may come to a passage like this, and we look at the land, and we think, okay, uh, what does this have to do with me? And the reality is uh, that this can be one of those areas where we take a little bit of time and a little bit of meditation, and we realize uh, that this this can be a help for us. Let me just throw this out to you guys as you read verses uh, 19, 20, and 21 of Obadiah. What exactly does this have to do uh, for us? What, how does that, um, what application would that have for a modern-day believer that Israel is going to possess all of this land? In a very general sense, God's going to keep his promises, and God promised that land to them, and they're, they're going to have it. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and each of these places have, have significance um, you know, I, I imagine, I'm trying to imagine myself, right? Imagine myself as an Edomite hearing this saying, and I'm sitting there in the cleft of the rock, which is admittedly, this is Southern area, South of the Dead Sea. It's dry, it's arid. And you're hearing about Jalad, right? Gilead, as we, as we say it here. And that's a place today. It's one of my favorite places in Jordan is, is Jalad. And it's beautiful green hill country, right? Hmm. They've probably envied that forever, <laughs> They've probably gone up there and go, man, I wish I lived here. It's like everybody in New Jersey going anywhere else. Sorry, Brandon, that was for you. <laughs> going, I moved away years ago, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, the Philly boy and can't, it still can't, hurts. Let it, can't let it go. But it's like, it, you know, it's like an envious thing. Like, wow, they live there. You know, they get to, they get to have that. And, and he's saying, yes, I, they're going to maintain that. There's going to be saviors on in Jerusalem. Like, this is going to be 
it's going to be as good for them as as everything you rejoiced over in them not getting. It's going to be that good. So I I think that it does get very personal uh, when you can relate it like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a hopeful perspective. I've never been to Jalad, so yeah, it's a nice place. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, as, as we look at this, I think there's definitely those general themes of God keeps his promises. Um, there's the theme of, of the land that we see all throughout the Old Testament. And I think, it, you know, as New Testament believers, it's a little bit tough because we're uh, not promised land in the same way, same way yet we are promised that uh, one day Christ is going to have a kingdom, and his kingdom is going to be over the entire world. And, um, you know, we'll we'll be able to have, have a part in that. And uh, just to see, I think, again, at the end, God's vindication of his people, like, there's a battle going on in the Middle East. Uh, there's still a battle going on in the Middle East for this land. This land is prime real estate. It's some of the most fought over real estate in the world. And God says, I'm going to give it to my people. And there's a there's a sense of vindication in that, that uh, God is going to honor and esteem his people uh, over others. And so kind of as we, as we conclude, uh, just looking at some of these major themes of Obadiah, uh, there's a theme of humility and pride. We talked about that last time. There's a theme of you reap what you sow. There's a theme of God's inevitable justice, and we worked through some of these in our lesson. I think that's a helpful way uh, when we come to an Old Testament book to think about it because so often we come and we read a book like Obadiah, and we're like, oh, man, what is this? I have no idea what who Edom is or what this has to do with me. When you stop, you take a step back. You, think, you, want, you, you read a little bit about the historical background. You read it carefully. You begin to pick up on some of these big-picture messages that are applicable uh, to us today, things like God's um, justice and humility and pride and what goes around comes around, you reap what you sow. And so I think that can be a helpful way to think through the book of Obadiah and uh, think through all of the minor prophets kind of as a whole. So um, I think we will just go ahead and wrap things up there, and um, we look forward to seeing everyone next week, and uh, we will start Joel, and then we will do Uh, Joel 1, 2 through 20, so chapter 1. And uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you. Bye. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. I'm on the Colonial Hills Podcast.